really we just pray that out, God, that we know that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord, that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so God, we pray that. We pray what a powerful name the name of Jesus is. We know it is a wonderful name and nothing compares to the name of Jesus Christ, God. We know that you have no rival, you have no equal, that you broke the strength and the power and the hold of death because death could not hold you and the veil tore before you. And you silence the boast of sin. You silence the boast of the grave because you have defeated sin and death with your death on the cross and you offer us life. And so God, we pray today acknowledging that there is no rival, there is no equal, and that for now on forever that you will receive all the praise and all the glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Peter. As you turn to First Peter, um, I'll let you know, my wife worked me so hard yesterday um, that I woke up this morning a little bit under the weather. I'm not feeling so hot. Um, so uh, for, as far as our life group, we're not going to have our life group tonight. Um, I don't want to throw, I've never had this happen, 15 years of ministry. I've lost my voice on Sunday mornings. I've never gotten sick. Um, and this morning was not pleasant. So I have kept my distance. I promise I will keep my distance. I won't be back there shaking hands. So you're not running into the pastor who's trying to avoid people, even though I am. And you don't want what I got, trust me. So um, if you have your Bibles, First uh, Peter chapter 2, and we've already read it, but I want you to think about this. We're talking about our series called Own the Vision. And this, this series plays out in this fashion or, or format. Our vision statement is to believe the truth of Jesus Christ, to belong to a cause bigger than ourselves, that's the church, to become everything that God created us to be. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. What did God create you and I to be? He, he created us in his image. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says that all of mankind, all of humanity, was created in the image of God. Man, man has a, a unique characteristic, and it's the characteristic that God formed him and fashioned him out of the dust of the earth. Man has a unique uh, relationship with God. And we were created in the image of God, but there's a problem in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see because of Adam and Eve's sin, we no longer bear the image of Christ. It's broken, it's shattered. As a matter of fact, let me take a drink here. As a matter of fact, if you were here right after I first got here as pastor, uh, some of the older people might tell you about the time that I shattered a mirror. Um, and, and yeah, you remember that? <laughs> I had a couple of them come up to me at the end of the service and go, dude, you ever do that again? We might have problems because all of us might fall over with a heart attack because I didn't tell him I was going to do it. And we had a mirror up. And I want you to think about this. In the beginning, God created man. And when man looked at God, they saw God. When man looked at themselves, they saw God because they were created in the image of God. But when sin happened, all of a sudden man looks and sees what? Well, wait a second. You're naked. And it's as a result of sin that we begin to do things that we know aren't right. We begin to walk down this road that leads us into death and leads us into temptation and leads us into more and more sin. And so we see all throughout scriptures this idea of image bearers who are walking in their own way, who are going their own direction. And, and in Colossians, the beauty of this, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, it says this, that after Jesus came, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All right. There's this Greek term called icon. 
Matter of fact, we did a sermon series called Icon back then. And Icon, E-I-K-O-N in the Greek, literally means the image. And so in Genesis chapter 1, if you took the Greek version uh, of, of, of the uh, Old Testament, it says that we are created in the image. We are an icon of God. But as a result of that being broken, we no longer bear that icon. We are, we're broken, we're fractured. But the beautiful news about it is this, that Jesus, because he is the image of, the, of God, he's the firstborn over all creation. When we look at Jesus, we see the very image of God, and Jesus is the image of God. But check this out. In Romans chapter 8, and I love this verse, and a lot of times we use it... Um, when we get into certain things like, uh, you know, somebody dies and, and, and things like this. But listen to what he says. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Anybody ever had that said to him? Oh, God works through all things. You know, you're at a funeral. Somebody you, you lost is, and somebody came up and said that. And you're like, oh, well, that's great. But, but listen to what he says. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Because listen to what he says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness. Matter of fact, your Bible, if it's a New American Standard or some of those, may say to be conformed to the image. And that's exactly what it means. And so the, today's sermon title is literally that, becoming like Christ. The term Christian literally means little what? Anybody know? Little Christ. The term Christian became known because of the people were following the word that God had laid out. They, they were following scripture. They were going out in, a, in obedience to what God had called them. They were living with holiness and purity. Did they have some sin in their lives? Yes, we're all sinners. Matter of fact, James even says, look, if you, or sorry, First John says, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar and there no, there's no truth in you. But here's the reality. When we walk in disobedience consistently, over and over and over again, knowingly walking away from what God has said, then those are issues we have to begin to address. And so you'll never, listen, you will never become God or a God. And I hope I clarify that. You will never become God or a God. Not gonna happen. Nowhere in scripture does it say that all of a sudden you're gonna usurp the authority of Jesus Christ and become the God of your own planet. You are not going to become God ever. I want to clarify that because that is a huge teaching among many false theologies that we see throughout Scripture. You are not going to become God. You never will. You are not God the Father. You will not become God the Father and own your own planet and then have to provide your own Jesus for that. You will not go that direction. It is physically, spiritually impossible because God laid it out. All right, so we begin to understand that there are many religions and ideas, though, that promote this thought that we can become our own God. If we just think strong enough, if we're powerful enough, and all those things, we got it. But listen to this. God's ultimate goal for you in life is not your comfort, but rather your character development. And a lot of times we approach things like this. God, if it's going to make me uncomfortable, I'm not going to go that direction. But you begin to understand this. When God's ultimate goal for you is not your comfort, but your character development, you begin to look and say, God, what do you want to do in me and through me? How can you use me to expand your kingdom? How can you use me to let other people see Jesus Christ in me? And one of the things I'm most worried about oftentimes as a pastor is this. A little sin... Matter of fact, it's one of the things that the Bible talks about how the yeast of the Pharisees contaminates the whole batch. 
But a little sin in our lives can contaminate who? The whole lot. And what we have to begin to understand is, and now I'm going to get this across. I'm going to probably keep it fairly short. I'm, uh, the reason I'm sitting down is because I'm struggling with dizziness. Um, so just bear with me. My thoughts may not all be there, but I'm trying to read as best I can, okay? <laughs> but here's the main point. If you remember anything, you remember this, that you were created to become like Christ. Not God-like, but you were created to become like Christ. That's what he's saying in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to his likeness or in the image of Christ. And what I want to ask you is this, do you bear the image of Christ day in and day out? Now, here's the reality, here's the truth, here's the struggle. All of us at some point in time don't bear a very good image, do we? Anybody been there? You kind of lash out, maybe you say something, maybe somebody did something to you and you're like, you know what, I'll show you. I'm gonna, you know, I can show you what image I'm going to make you in. You know, maybe that's your thought process. You know, you just keep saying those words and I'll, I'll reform you into a new image, right? But that's not the reality of what Jesus calls us to do because we are called to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And listen to what he says, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And so, how do I become like Christ? Number one, I believe, is this. I have to get to know Jesus. I have to get to know Jesus. While effort has nothing to do with your salvation, it has everything to do with your spiritual growth and your sanctification. The reality is, a lot of people want, and this is just kind of today's modern thought processes, we want things, but we don't want to work for things, right? Like, like I mean, even my generation, you know, we looked at our parents, and we're like, man, look at the houses they got. And so we go out and we buy these houses and we're, 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 we're deep in debt because we wanted the same house our parents have. They've worked for 25 or 30 years, whereas we've only been working five or 10. And we start to do all of those things. And what we don't realize is that, We have to put effort into the relationship, effort into our growth process. And so what I want to challenge you with today is that you have to get to know Jesus. You don't know Jesus by being separated from his word. It'll never happen. You can't get to know the deep, intimate details of our Lord and Savior if you don't know his word. That's why we've, we've stressed over and over and over again. Matter of fact, you can go online. You can look, you can download the app, the Read Scripture app. You can go online, thebibleproject.com. They've got great videos that will kind of prepare you as you dig in to read the Word. They'll prepare you for every book. But the reality of what they're trying to do is to get you in the Word because through the Word, God transforms your heart and your life. It's always through the Scripture. There is no other book, no other book, above the name or above, above the Bible that should be taken into consideration when we start to interpret life. Nothing. Everything else is useless. Everything else is man-made. And before you go in and go, well, hey, hold on a second. The Bible's man-made. Yes, but it's man-made under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when we go back and look at it, the Bible lines up with what we have here. If you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls, lines up with the earliest manuscripts we've ever had. So I've had people say, well, the Bible changed. No, it didn't. Because the very segments of Scripture that we have from the Dead Sea Scrolls shows that the Bible has not changed. Shows how vitally important the scribes 
took of interpreting and, and communicating and translating this text. So we begin to understand what's taking place, but I have to get to know Jesus. Getting to know Jesus is a result of time in the Word, reading it. Listen, it's more than just reading, too. Because I don't know about you, but there's times where I can go through and I can read seven or eight chapters, and I'm like, what did I just read? I mean, anybody else been there? You're like, man, my brain was wandering. I was thinking about something else. It's more than just reading it. One of the things I got into doing was reading less scripture at a time, but thinking on it. And so it's more than just reading. It's, it's, it's reading it. It's learning from it. In other words, meditate on it. God, what did you just say to me? What is the call to action? You are, you're writing this to people originally back then, but what is the call to action for my life? What does Jesus want me to do as a result of his word? What is he calling me to do? How do I live? And as a matter of fact, let, let's just point it out there. There are a lot of people who claim to be Christ followers who don't follow this. Why? Because we want our sin. We want enough sin in our life to hold on to the sin in our life and not have God tell me what I can and can't do. I'll use an example. Living with somebody outside of marriage. Homosexual marriage. Heterosexual dating relationships outside of marriage that are leading into sexual activity. Now, I know what's going to happen because there's going to be somebody going, well, hold on a second. You know, over 2,000 years, things have changed. You can't expect us to live up to the standards that God set up. Oh, yes. That's the reality of what God calls us to. He calls us to holiness. Remember, he is more concerned with and consumed with your character than your comfort. Character is everything in the book. Character is everything in the life of the Christian. You take away a Christian's character and they got nothing to stand upon. God is always interested in the development of the character of the believer. So I have the next slide. I think, Anna, is it up there, the, the next slide, the circle? And I know you can't read that. I'm going to try and get this printed off. If you go through our new members class, you'll understand. But that yellow group right there, that yellow group is a group of people we call seekers. They're not believers. They're not following Christ. They're walking through life. Maybe they don't even really care about God. But those people are seekers, and they're on a path. And we talked about making disciples. Remember, uh, our, our goal, our role, number one, to, to, to let people know, to believe the truth of Jesus Christ. We have to reach out to the seekers, those people who even would say, look, I have no desire to know who Jesus is. You don't know the situation they're in, but as you walk through life with them, befriending them, talking truth to them, loving them, serving them, guess what? Hopefully at some point in time, they will believe. And so you see that little black spot right in there where at some point they acknowledge their belief in Christ. But here's where the work begins, right? When somebody believes in Christ, they're not automatically a full-grown Christian, are they? It's a process. It's a step. It's a growth pattern that we have to begin to move forward in. And so it says on there things like this. I want to read them to you. Under that, the green is the infant phase. Everybody knows an infant. And an infant needs what? It needs milk, but they also need what? Training, what do they need? Relationships. They need a mother and a father and people who are going to invest in them and love in them. So under that infant phase, they're going to learn from others. Usually somebody who's a mother or father. Somebody who's mentored them, discipled them, let out. They're going to learn new truths and new habits. And so, listen, in the infant phase, infants do things that we really don't like at times, right? Like, they say no. 
Like, they do things that we tell them, hey, you shouldn't do that. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know. I remember Ethan at one point, I was, I think he was about four. And I said, if you do that again, I'm going to spank your bottom. And he went just like this. Like, I'm going to go do it. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, I looked at Sarah and I was like, are you kidding me? What, what, what kind of person is that? I didn't have to teach him that. I didn't bend over and be like, hey, dude, you know. I mean, I did not do that at all. I just said, if you're going to do that again, I'm going to spank you. And he's like, well, go ahead. I'm going to do it. And he's laughing right now, but that's kind of his personality at times. All right? But listen, under the infant phase, they're going to learn from others. They're going to learn new truths and learn new habits. Under the blue phase, that's the child phase. Now, a child oftentimes is going to make right decisions, but they're also going to learn wrong decisions. All right? But under that childhood phase, they're going to learn to quit being self-centered and start focusing on others. So you're going to see things like this, to grow in the love for God, to grow in love for other people, and to grow a servant's heart. In other words, one of the things we want to focus on with our children's ministry and our kids here is that they learn that it's not good enough just to attend church, but I'm also called to serve in the church. That's the childhood phase. Now, some people are adults and still in the childhood phase. A child, at times, especially our kids, need to be told, no, you're not going to eat that. That's junk food. You don't need more cookies. You need chicken and fish and asparagus and broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Ugh. But that's what happens in a child phase. And what I want you to do is, as you're going through this, try and identify where you're at. I'm not, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, hey, that's me. But identify where you're at because the next one is the teenage phase. Now, the teenage phase or the adolescent phase or young adult phase is growing in Christ-centered servanthood, all right? And so they learn to seek advanced equipping. They want to grow to know the Bible more. And as they know the Bible more, they begin to do what the Bible says. I want to get to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I know what's going on, all right? They're going to learn to grow that way. They're going to exercise, excuse me, godly stewardship. One of the things we teach our kids right from the get-go is, look, it's not an option. That 10% is not yours. The first 10% is always given to God. That's what we teach. And then they demonstrate consistent Christian character. Look, teenagers are constantly bombarded by friends and people who are going to want them to do things that aren't Christ-like. Do they demonstrate consistent Christian character? Or do they wander in and chase after the things that the world's saying, hey, go for it? Getting to know Jesus through the power of his word lets me know where I stand. And then the last phase, and this is what we see, the last phase is the parent phase. That parent phase means there are people who are leaders. They are parents. They have stepped into the world of making disciples, training and advancing the training of the kingdom of God within the church, within their own family and outside. They're going to apprentice in the discipleship process. That means you're going to take on meeting with people who are in the infant or childhood phase. Now, that doesn't mean they're all children. You get that, right? There may be somebody who's a new believer who's 55 or 60 years old, but they're still going to be what? They don't automatically become an adult in Christian standards. They have to grow. And so you're going to take part in advancing that. And then the last thing it says is release to reproduce. And one of the things that we've talked about as a church is we want to be a multiplying church. We want to see taking life in Christ to our neighbors and the nations. We want to see the gospel multiplied. Churches multiplied around the world. That's why we're looking at, we're, we're talking about, I haven't forgot about Mexico. We've had a number of things come up, but we were looking at going to Mexico after the new year. I was just talking with uh, Sergio 
this last week. And a matter of fact, I'm, I'm disappointed. He was going to come up October 22nd. Sergio was, who's the, the liaison between us and the church we're with. And he was going to preach here. We we're going to do a combined service. He was going to preach here that day. We were excited. And Sergio doesn't speak English or much English. So it was going to be translated. But we were excited to have that. I found out on Friday he's not coming up. So you're stuck with me or somebody else. All right. But uh, we're excited about what's going to happen in that partnership. We want to see the gospel multiplied. So how do I become like Christ? I have to get to know Jesus. And you can identify yourself some way, shape, or form on that little circular graph. Am I an infant? Am I learning the things of God? Am I a child? You know, I'm starting to grow in loving God and grow in loving other people. Am I a teenager who, you know, I'm trying to put into practice what I'm preaching? Am I going to stand on Christian principles? Or am I an adult? And if you're an adult, I want to challenge you. If you're an adult and you're not serving within the body in some way, shape, or form, I would say you're not an adult yet. Because the adult phase is literally taking part in the multiplication aspect. So owning the vision is understanding this. So how do I become like Christ? I have to get to know Jesus. Number two, how do I become like Christ? I let God's word transform me. Transform is a big thing. Matter of fact, we get our our word metamorphosis from this idea of transform. When something transforms from a caterpillar into a butterfly, that's called a what? Metamorphosis. It's a transformation, all right? The old is gone, the new has come, all right? It's no longer a caterpillar crawling around on its belly. It's now a butterfly and it's flying in the sky and able to do so much more. Can you imagine crawling across a lar- uh, the yard as a caterpillar and then all of a sudden you wake up two days later or a week later, you're a butterfly and you fly across the yard in three seconds? That's what happens. I let God's word transform me. And the truth is, Truth transforms us. Nothing can do more to transform your life than the truth of God's word. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip to John chapter 8 because John chapter 8 is one of those things. We love to quote John chapter 8 verse 32 where it says, uh, if you hold to my teaching, or, or verse 32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We always quote that, but listen to what 31 says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So I can't just take in the word and not live it out. I take in the word and I live it out. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but rather do what it says. So I have to let God's word transform me. Truth transforms us. There is spiritual growth in the process of replacing false beliefs, false motives, and lies with truth. That is a spiritual growth process. And the bad thing is, a lot of times, when God is worried about our character and not our comfort, what he's saying is, when my truth begins to transform your life, it's going to cause you to be uncomfortable. There are going to be times where you know what you're doing is wrong. You don't want to admit you're wrong. You don't want to admit the sin in your life. But as a result of admitting that sin, you're going to be able to step forward and walk and grow through the the challenge that he wants to take you through. So I have to let God's word transform me. And so I learn to accept the authority of scripture in my life. All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it literally came out of the the nostrils is what it clarifies, but it came out of the nose and mouth. He exhaled the word very simply out of his his mouth. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, right? Teaches me to know what to do. Correcting, it corrects me when I'm wrong. Rebuking, 
it comes down harsh when I've really stepped out of line and training in righteousness. Why? Because righteousness leads to godly character, being Christ-like. Unrighteousness is unchrist-like and points people away from God. So, remember, you were created to become like Christ. If you remember anything, you've got to remember that. But I have to let the Word of God transform me. See, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. That's what he's saying in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. That we would bear Christ's image to those who are far from Jesus. Day in and day out. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, and we've, uh, or, uh, yeah, Philippians chapter 2, we talked a little bit about this, but we also looked at a number of verses a couple weeks ago, really probably a couple months ago, where it talked about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So here's what happens there is a work process on your part. Not meaning you work for your salvation. There is no working for your salvation. Salvation is through a gift, by faith, through grace. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. But listen to what he says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the idea, and if I had enough strength, I was going to do it, of getting down and putting, doing push-ups and starting to work out. That I work out my salvation. As I've been saved in Christ, I'm going to put it into action. Everything I do is responses of what God is doing in my life through his word. So I work out my salvation. I continue to put it into practice. We work out in God's word. But listen, and then it says, and God works in us through the word. All right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. When I take in more of God's word, when I begin to understand God's word, when I let God's word transform me, guess what he does? He changes us. He metamorphoses us. That's why people you run into in the past, if you have a bad background, like I've said, you know, to a certain extent about my high school, when I went back to the high school reunion and I said, hey, I'm a pastor, everybody's like, what? Like, I know what you did in high school. I remember you very well. I remember the fights. I remember the parties. I remember you causing trouble. I remember you getting suspended. I remember you getting kicked out of class. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm a pastor now. Whoa. That's the idea of transformation. And some of you may have that same background, that God transformed you. When, God, when, when Christ came into your life, when you started taking in more and more of his word, guess what you began to do? You began to transform. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Number three, how do I become like Christ? I have to live out his word. So I let God's word transform me, but now I have to live it out. I put it into practice. One of the things I try and do when I'm reading the, the Bible is to kind of think of, of your hand. In order to grasp the true meaning of the text, you have to use pretty much all of it, all right? You need to read it. You need to meditate on it. You need to memorize it. You need to put it into practice, all right? And then all of that goes together to apply it. When I use it in a correct way and I apply it, I begin to live out his word. And we already talked about James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. See, that's the reality. A lot of times we deceive ourselves and we don't deceive everybody else. Actions speak louder than words. I mean, that's, that's not even in the Bible. 
Proverbs-wise. That's just a proverb somebody made up. My dad used to say, birds of a feather flock together. Actions speak louder than words. And what James is saying is, that is 100% true. Your actions reflect your character. And your character reflects who or what is going on inside of your life. See, God is far more interested in who you are, your character, than in what you do. And a lot of times what we do is we think, well, God, I'm, I'm serving you in the church. I'm giving to the church. But we don't let the word transform us. And as a result, we get trapped in this workspace mentality of, God, look what I'm doing for you. You should kind of back off when God's just saying, I want a relationship with you where there is a change in character. And the only one who can change your character is God working in you through his word. That's the reality. Had an individual that I know that suffering through addictions and stuff, and he had moved. And in the midst of moving, he said, you know, I thought moving would change my scenario. But the problem is that's how we oftentimes do things. Well, if I just move, everything will be better. It changes the situation, but it doesn't change the heart. When you are struggling with sin and addiction in your life, whatever that is, whether it's pride, arrogance, envy, racism, hatred, bigotry, addictions, when you deal with those things by just jumping ship and changing situations and not deal with the heart of the matter, you'll always find yourself back in the same situation. Change church, same situation. Change friends, same situation. Change location, same situation. Why? Because your heart is leading in a direction you shouldn't be going. And so what the Bible is calling us to do, Matthew chapter 7, verse 34 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And we know what happens. Because when the rains come, when the torrent of life is unloaded on you, when the temptations come and and start attacking you, when all hell breaks loose in your personal life, if you're not built upon the firm foundation of the word of God in your heart, if you're not relying upon the truth of God to strengthen you and encourage, even in the midst of the worst situation, guess what's going to happen? When the storms come, it's just like your house was built on sand. And it's going to be gone. When we were in Gulf Shores last month for our vacation, we built this awesome sandcastle. It was sweet. Big old, you know, we had towers on either side. Then we had a big mound in the middle. We built a village. There was five different buildings. And I had flags sticking up, you know, like little sticks from the beach water. It was sticking up everywhere. And I remember as we left that night, the kids went, do you think it'll last? No. Because the tide came in and guess what happened? It's gone. Next morning, all you saw was where our big mound was. There was just a little bump. The rest was gone. I mean, there wasn't even, matter of fact, I think we even did a sea turtle. We have pictures on Facebook if you want to see it. But Sarah did a sea turtle in the sand. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. I was using buckets and, you know, formers. She just like, oh, I can do this with my hand. I'm like, well, but it didn't last. Why? Because it was built on sand. It's not going to last. And so we jump back to John chapter 8, and he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Serve those who want to smack you around. If you're called to go one mile, go two. 
If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll love others. If you love me, you'll be the person who forgives people regardless of how many times they transgress or sin against you even. And so Jesus begins to lay these out and all of us have a point in time in our life where we have to work on that. I would even say a personal thing right now that we most likely are going, man, I'm falling short. I'm not living out God's word. And the truth is here, listen to me, there's nothing you can do other than to spend more time in God's word. You could try and work harder. Trust me, tried it. I'm a worker bee. I'm the guy who works like crazy. I love to work around the yard. I love to work on our house. I love to work on cars. I love to, well, kind of. Um, I love to work on semis more than cars. Um, but the reality is I'm a worker. And at times it's easier for me to work than to spend time in God's word. Because I'm like, man, God, look what I'm doing for you. Look at what we're doing. Look, what, look what's going on in the church. Look what groups we're starting. Look at how people are, are connecting. Look at how, how, how I, and I'll be honest with you, you know, over and over and over again, I've heard, how loving and kind our people are. But now, listen, we don't use that just as a way to go, hey, look, we got it going. We've used it to become better. That you don't stop of just saying hi to somebody, but you, listen, an adult that we talked about, you begin to pull them into the process. You begin to mentor them and walk them through. You begin to talk about God's word with them. And the only way you can do that is if you're living out God's word day in and day out. And so I wanna challenge you just with this today. That if you're not reading God's word, if you're not reading the Bible, you start to dig into it. Very simply, go to thebibleproject.com. That will get you pointed in the right direction. There are videos that explain each and every book. There are videos that explain key themes throughout the Bible. And so you'll be able to watch that video. And so if you're reading the book of Philippians like we just went through not too long ago, it's about an eight-minute video. It gives you an idea of what's going on and why Paul wrote the letter. And then when you read the letter, you begin to understand a little bit more. One of the best tools I can ever say. If you want to download it on your phone, just download it. It's called the Read Scripture app. It's free. Best thing ever. Free. Doesn't cost you a thing. So start reading the Word. Start loving the word. As you love the word, you begin to love the very God who it discusses and talks about, the very God who spoke it into existence and the very God who created us in our image is the very God who protected and communicated the truth of his word through the people. Here's the thing that I think we have to begin to understand. For many Christians, we grow older, but we don't necessarily grow up. And growing up is a maturing process, a multiplying process, a process of making disciples. And so regardless of where you're at in life, regardless of age, regardless of what you've done in the past, there's nowhere in Scripture, hear me out, I know because this is the American thing, there is nowhere in Scripture that talks about retiring Christians. (laughs) You can't retire and be like, oh, okay, I'm done, I'm just going to sit back and let all the young people do it. The problem with that is then the young people get their way and the old people don't disciple out and we end up with a very immature church body. But when everybody who is an adult, spiritually, invests in the life of a child or an infant or a young adult phase, guess what happens? There's this beautiful thing called maturity. 
And through maturity, people begin to make wise decisions. And wise decisions lead to fruitful labor. And fruitful labor leads to the glory of God. You reap what you sow. And so I want to challenge you wholeheartedly. This is not just for people who are not yet connected to the church or even not yet connected to Jesus Christ. This is for everybody within the church. Why? Because we are called. I believe wholeheartedly. We are going to take life in Christ to our neighbors and the nations. That's our mission statement. By making disciples. How do we make disciples? By leading people to believe the truth of Jesus Christ, to belong to a cause bigger than themselves. That's the church, the local church. All right? To become everything that God created them to be. And then the last thing is to be sent, to be launched out, to reproduce disciples. Because the reality is, while up here may be the best thing some people think, what I'm telling you is what takes place out there in the trenches is what leads to a church growing, not here. All right? If it does grow here, oftentimes it grows because it's more based upon selfishness. Like, man, that guy really spoke to my needs than it is about truth. Now, I'm not trying to take away the centrality of Scripture and preaching God's Word, but listen to me. What we do as a whole, as a body, day in and day out, making disciples in our lives, is what leads to the kind of growth that we see in the Bible, where numbers were added to daily, because why? The whole church was carrying the weight The whole church was carrying out the ministry. The whole church was going to each other and strengthening each other. And when somebody faced trying times, they built them up and they prayed for them. And so in closing, I just want you to think about this. Number one, you may need to get to Jesus, to get to know Jesus. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ and that's the first step. Maybe you need to create a habit of daily Bible reading. That I read it, I meditate on it, I memorize it, and I begin to apply it. But maybe, just maybe, you say, hey, I'm doing that. Maybe you just need to live it out. Don't be afraid. Remember what Jesus said. He tells us to go and make disciples, but he also said, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. There's great value in being a part of a Sunday morning Bible study. There's great value in being part of a life group throughout the week where you get to study, you get to relate to, you get to connect with other people. And so here's the thing that we try and encourage you. If you go to our new members class, you'll you'll even hear this. We want you to take part in one form of discipleship. At least one. If you want to commit to Sunday mornings, then commit to Sunday mornings. Maybe Sunday mornings work better. Maybe the weeks you're, you're working at night, you got problems, so commit to Sunday mornings. But if you can't commit to Sunday morning Bible study where you get to relate and connect with other believers, commit to a life group where you get to know others, relate to others, grow in God's word, and help each other out to pray for, encourage, and love other believers and open up the doors to people who are far from Christ. Let's pray. Father, we know that we were created in your image. We know that you have great things in store, that we were created in your likeness to bear the image of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that God, just today, that each one of us where we're at would identify our own struggle, our own weakness, the point that we need to step up when. Maybe it's to acknowledge Christ as Savior for the first time. Maybe it's the, the reality that we need to spend more time in your word to get to know you. But maybe it's also the reality that we've got to start living out your word that we live by the standards and the principles that you gave us in your word day in and day out. And so God, we pray 
that whatever that is, that your spirit would lay it upon each heart today, that we would not look around at other people, but we would look at ourselves and that your spirit would convict us of what we need to do because God, we want to be about multiplying disciples. We want to be uh, seeing people come to Christ. We want to see people grow in Christ. We want to see people grow to love others and to take the gospel around the world. So we pray that you have your way today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.